something in Paris called the Eiffel Tower. Would you believe me? I think pretty much everybody would believe that statement because we've, we've seen uh, pictures of the Eiffel Tower. We've seen movies of people in front of it and with all kinds of people. Because when you go to Paris, you've got to take your picture in front of the Eiffel Tower. So if you went through the Internet, you'd probably see, see millions and millions of pictures of people standing in front of the Eiffel Tower. So that's pretty easy to, to accept because of the fact that the people have been there and there's pictures of it and all these other things that are going on. But, however, what, did I, what, what if you heard that somebody told you that there was an exact replica of the Eiffel Tower in Mexico? Would you believe that? Now, that might be a little different kind of scenario because, you know, it would all depend on who told you that it was there. If it was somebody that you had a lot of confidence in or a lot of faith or uh, belief in them or... or and the fact that maybe they had authority to more authority to be able to say that. Maybe they were a travel guide from Mexico or something. It would all depend on whether or not the person that, that you, you was telling you that to believe it. And how much you believe it would determine, you know, whether you'd really want to go see it or not. It's a lot closer to go to Mexico than it is to Paris <laughs> in that scenario. So that's kind of uh, what we think. It depends on who's telling us something, whether or not we believe it. And most of the stuff that, that we believe is because of someone's authority or because of uh, our faith and confidence in the person that's telling us that. Now, C.S. Lewis, Lewis wrote, I have to believe that Jesus was and is God, and it seems plain as a matter of history that he taught his followers that the new life was communicated in this way. In other words, I believe it on his authority. 99% of the things you believe are believed on authority. The ordinary person believes in the solar system, atoms, and the circulation of the blood on authority because the scientists say so. Every historical statement is believed on authority. None of us have seen the Norman conquest or the defeat of the Spanish Armada, but we believe them simply because people who did them, did see them, have left writings that tell us about them. And that's the same thing with everything that goes on in our history. We don't know... We didn't see the Declaration of Independence signed, but we have the doctor document, and we have all the historical evidence that it really does exist. And you can go to Washington, and you can actually see the actual document that was signed. But we, we accept a lot of things through authority of the people that were there or who left writings and things about it. That's, we have the Bible, because of the, and we believe it because of the authority of God is placed on it, number one, but because of the verification of things that's happened to it, we believe it. But it's all we take except everything that we believe, a lot of things we believe, is accepted because of authority. I've never seen an atom, but I, they know they exist. I studied them in school. There's, there's negative and positive protons and all these other kind of things that are going on. <coughs> I've never seen one. Have you? But we know they exist. We know that the solar system exists. We, you know, now we've got telescopes that we can actually see planets and things that are going on. So there's ways that we can verify it now, but before they had these things going on, uh, to verify those things, we just had to take it on somebody's faith, somebody's authority that was accepted. And that's kind of where we're looking at this morning. And we're going to be in John chapter 4, the fourth chapter, if you want to go there. <clears throat> and this is kind of a, some of the, a scenario of what is going to be going on where we're talking about today. Excuse <coughs> me. Now, we've been talking about conversations with Jesus and conversations that different people had with Jesus. 
and, and discussing those conversations. And this morning, we're going to deal with a guy that came to Jesus because of what he had heard. He hadn't seen, didn't have any confirmation in his heart, but what he had heard. And that's what's bringing him to Jesus. And so that's the guy that we're going to be talking about today in his conversation with Jesus. And we're going to be looking in John chapter 4, verse 46. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Now this man comes not knowing whether or not what he's heard was true or not. He'd heard a lot of things. He heard that this man, Jesus, had performed a lot of miracles. He'd never seen it. All he had was what he had heard. <clears throat> but he had a special need in his life that his son needed a touch that no one else could meet. He had uh, done everything he could do physically for his son, and he was at the point of death. And he had no other options. Jesus was his last hope. So when he came to Jesus, he came to him on a basis of what he had heard. And he was kind of hoping that maybe what he had heard was true. So sometimes information that people hear about Jesus is what draws him to him. And that's the same thing that happens in our life today. People have heard a lot about Jesus. And the, the things that they've heard about Jesus, sometimes that's we hope, we hope, and we hope, and we hope that it's true. Can Jesus actually do this? Can Jesus actually meet these needs? Sometimes we have those needs that no one else can meet. When we've given all the hope, it's all gone. That's when they come to Jesus. Well, that's where this man was at this morning. He didn't have any other hope. He was going, I've tried everything else. Of course, we in the Christian realm, we try everything else, and then we say, I guess I'll pray. <laughs> I guess I'll go to Jesus now. I've, I've, I've done everything else I can, so now I'm going to go to Jesus. But this guy didn't know Jesus. He only knew what he'd heard about him. So he comes kind of with what we'd call a tentative faith. And that's unsure about whether or not it's true, but hoping, just hoping within his soul and within his spirit, what he's heard was true. I'm reminded of a story of a man in the Old West. He was, he was traveling, he needed to go to a certain place, and he'd never been there before. And it was, it's wintertime, and he goes over to this area, and he sees, he needs to get across this river. But he looks, and there's no bridge to get across. But like I said, it was winter, so it was covered with a sheet of ice. Well, he didn't know how thick this ice was, and he didn't know whether or not it would be safe to walk across this river on this ice or not. So he's very tentative about it. Well, he needed to get there, and there was no bridge, so he didn't really have a lot of options. So he figured, well, I'll just be real careful. So he gets down on his hands and his knees, and he starts crawling very carefully across this ice, thinking, well, if he hears something crack, at least he won't fall through like if he's walking across it. So he's sitting there, and he's being very tentative, and he's crawling very slowly and very carefully. And pretty soon he hears singing behind him. And he thought, what in the world is this? So he turns around, and he looks, and here's this guy driving four horses in a wagon, a coal wagon, across there just singing as he goes. And he's crawling around on the, on the ground, not knowing how, how strong this ice is. And that's kind of the way we are when we come to Christ. We're a little tentative. We don't really know, can he do this? Can he meet our needs? So we're sitting there and we're crawling and we're hoping and we're praying and we're trusting, but just tentatively. We don't want to, we don't want to jump all the way in with faith. We're not going to just get up and run across the, the, the river. We're going to be very tentative. We're going to be very careful. Because after all, 
You know, we don't want to get burnt. I've been burned before. I've been hurt before. I don't want to take any chances. So I'm just going to be tentative. And that's the way most people come to Christ. It's just kind of with a tentative faith. But see, that's okay. Because a tentative faith is at least something that draws people to Christ. And that's what this guy, this guy was. He didn't want to put his whole faith into Christ and believe him automatically because of what people had heard. But he was coming, maybe tentatively, but he had no other options. So he was coming. And God, it's okay, with, it's okay if we have this kind of faith. Because God will take us where we're at to where he wants us to be. And that's what the, this guy did. Now, <clears throat> the next thing that God didn't want us where we're at. When he gets us, he takes us where we're at today, doesn't he? Whatever, whatever faith we have or whatever we're doing, God accepts that. Because he knows that if we can just get a little bit of faith in him, then he, he can change it into something else. But we have to start somewhere. And, and that's with tentative faith. So we come to Christ with that. And he wants us to take us from temporal faith, actually tentative faith, to temporary faith. We have an unsure faith, but God wants us to take us to a different, different place because it's a step program, about a three-step program that we have when we have faith in coming to Christ. Verse 48 says, Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told them, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Now, Jesus knew that this man was so focused on his problem, he didn't care about anything else. And sometimes we as, we as people, or Christians or not, when they come to Christ, we need to, we're focused on our problems. But the problem is sometimes as, when we come to Christ, we allow people to talk us out of it. We go around people, and you have this need, and you say, I'm going to go have them prayed for. And they say, well, why do you want to do that? Jesus doesn't heal today. Jesus doesn't meet needs today. But see, we can't do that. We've got to keep focused on our need and on our situation when we're coming to Christ. Otherwise, people talk us out of it, and our need will never be met. This man didn't listen to anybody. All he knew was that Jesus was the only one that could meet his need. And he didn't care what anybody else said because it was imperative. If he didn't, in the verse he said, come down or my son's going to die. He had reached the end of his rope. It didn't matter at that point. And when we come to Christ, sometimes we need to be focused and realize that only Jesus can meet our need. It doesn't matter what else is going on. It doesn't matter what people say. Because if we have a need and we keep focused on that and keep focused on the fact that only Jesus has the power to meet it, that's what we need to do. <clears throat> and see, what's interesting about this is Jesus didn't get rattled by his focus on his problem. Didn't rattle Jesus a bit. He knew that it's kind of hard for people to uh, get focused on anything else when they have a situation in their life that needs to be met. The Salvation Army's kind of built their, their ministry on people of feeding people. Because it's hard to minister to somebody that's hungry. You can't do it because they're so focused on their hunger, they don't care about anything else. So you've got to be able to get their focus. You've got to fill their stomach first, and then you can focus on meeting the other person's need. And that's what the Salvation Army does. And it's okay to focus on life's problems because Jesus knows that. Jesus knows that we're going to have times in our life that we're not going to be able to focus on anything else in our situation in our life. If your kid's sick and they've done everything else that they can do for you, man, you have no other options. And it doesn't matter if somebody says Jesus doesn't heal. What other option do you have? That's where this man was at this morning. And see, in verse 49, it said, Jesus replied, you may go, your son will live. And the man took Jesus at his word and departed. See, Jesus promised to give the man what he asked for. And the man took him at his word and departed. How many times do we get promises from God 
And we don't just depart like our need's going to be met like this guy did. We just sit there and we just start questioning. Well, are you sure it's met? And we keep praying and we keep praying and we keep praying and we keep bugging Jesus for the same things. And we don't take him at his word. This book is full of promises from God. The problem is we got to read them to know what they are. And, you know, that might take some time. It might take us ten minutes a day or five minutes a day to read this to be able to find out what those promises are. But when we find the promises of God, we got to take him at his word and, and forget it. Leave it there. And we know that sometimes we have, to, we have to ask God for our need, and then we have to find a promise. And if you find a promise in here, fine, claim it. Because that's what his word is. Sometimes he'll speak to us individually. And when we feel like God has met our need, we've got to let it go from that. We've got to start thanking him for it. Because we can't keep praying and praying for something that God's already promised us. It's like salvation. When we come to Christ, we have to realize that we're sinners and we confess our sins. And then he's faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if we keep coming to Jesus and we keep confessing the same thing over and over and over and over and over again, and we never accept the salvation that he's provided for us, that's kind of ridiculous. We have to be able to accept and say, okay, and then we go on our way and start thanking him for saving us. And that's the same thing when we have other needs in our life. When we find a promise or we feel like God has spoken to our hearts, we got to quit asking for the same thing he's already given if you, when your kids, when your, our kids was growing up, or when you were growing up and you asked your mom or dad to borrow the car. Okay, fine. And they say yes. Okay, here's the keys. And you got the keys in your hand, sitting there with the keys of the car in your hand, and you keep asking, Dad, can I borrow the car? Can I borrow the car? Can I borrow the car? That's kind of stupid, isn't it? But that's the same thing we do when we come to God. We come with our needs, and he gives us the car keys. He says, here it is. But we don't accept it. We keep asking for the same things over and over and over again when the car keys are in our hand. God wants us to take the car keys, say thank you, and then go about our way. That's what this man did. He departed and believed God. They took him at his word, and he didn't question him. <clears throat> and this man acted like he believed, didn't he? I don't know what was going on in his heart. I don't know whether he believed it in his heart or whether he was hoping or whatever. It didn't matter. He took it on his word and he departed and went home. He accepted what he had said. I don't know what was going on in his heart or in his mind. And sometimes even though we have a promise from God, we may have some doubts in our hearts about it. But see, we can act like we believe anyway. And pretty soon when we act a certain way, feelings and things will catch up. See, Jesus commanded us to love people. Now, there's some people that are real hard to love. But see, when we act like we love someone, even if we have to force ourselves to do it, pretty soon God will let the feelings catch up with us. Because we have to act in a certain way, and as soon as we step out in faith, that's when God meets us. That's when he fills the need, and that's when he does the things that need to be do, that we, we want done. Because that's what faith is. It's acting. Maybe it's a tentative faith or a temporary faith. It doesn't matter what it is, but that's the way it works, and that's the way it worked in this man. He had a temporary faith. And the only problem with temporary faith is when the crisis is over, the faith's gone. Once uh, you have a certain need and it's gone, you don't need any faith anymore because it's gone. And that isn't what God wants. God wants us to have a different kind of faith than that. Because if we have only come to him for our needs when they're met, then we have no reason to talk to him or associate with God anymore. And what happens if he doesn't meet our needs the way that we want him to meet them? See, there's the biggest issue that we have. What if he doesn't answer it in the way that we think he should answer it? Then what are we going to do? See, that's the problem with temporary faith. 
I'm reminded, there's a Ted Turner, he was the founder of uh, CNN, I know you've heard of him, TBS and TNT, and <clears throat> Enterprises and others, <clears throat> Enterprises, described Christianity as a religion for losers. And he asked Catholics at CNN whether they were Jesus freaks when they came to work on Ash Wednesday with crosses on their foreheads. What you may not know about him is that he wasn't always so anti-Christian. In fact, he revealed in an interview with a New Yorker magazine in April of 2001 that he had once planned to become a missionary. But he turned his back on Christianity after watching his younger sister die a slow and painful death from immune system disease when he was a teenager. He told the New Yorker, I couldn't understand how someone so innocent should be, should be made or allowed to suffer. So, and that was out of the Sydney Morning Herald, August 25, 2001. See, this is the problem with temporal faith. If you don't get your need met the way that you think it ought to be met, then we just chuck it all, and we don't have any faith at all, and we just throw everything away. But see, if we have a, if we have a, a different kind of faith in our hearts, then whether God meets the need or not, the way we want it met won't matter. See, it doesn't matter to me if God answers another one of my prayers. I've, God has already been faithful enough to me in my history and in my life that I know it isn't going to make any difference. If he doesn't answer my prayers the way that I want them answered, it is, I'm not going to quit serving him. I've already decided that because, see, I don't have a, a temporal faith or a temporary faith. I have a different kind of faith, and that's the kind of faith that God wants us to have, and that's called a transforming faith. In verse 48, it says, Unless you people see miracles and signs, Jesus told them, you will never believe. Now, this wasn't a rebuke, basically, to the man. It kind of sounds like it. But, see, Jesus was saying... All you people, y'all, all you want to have is all you see is temporary faith. I don't want you to have temporary faith. I want you to have a transforming faith. Because when we have that transforming faith, then it won't matter what happens in our life. It won't matter whether our needs are met or not met. Because we've been transformed. And that's what God wants in our life. That's what Jesus wants in our life. He wants a transformation in our hearts. Not a temporary faith that's just going to trust him for one particular little thing. He wants our lives to be changed and transformed. Uh, verse 51, it says, <clears throat> While he was still on his way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the, same, as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, The fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. Then the father realized that it was, this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son liveth, so that he and all his household believed. Now, <clears throat> now this man, when Jesus gave him that word, he left with kind of a temporary faith and a hope in his heart. But see, now something's changed. <clears throat> he didn't have a temporary faith in Jesus <clears throat> because the need had already been met. The need had already been met at this point. So he didn't have to have any faith that his son would be healed because he was. Now he had a different kind of faith because he said, what time did this happen? And they told him the seventh hour. And he realized this was the time that Jesus spoke the words, go, your son liveth. The exact time. That's why we write down prayer requests. <laughs> and they keep track of them. <coughs> Excuse me. With the dates that they're. So we'll know. Hey, when they're met, we can say, praise the Lord. He spoke the words. And exactly that exact time we start praying for a need, God starts intervening. Whether or not we see an immediate answer, I don't know. That's between God and his wisdom and his knowledge of doing things. I don't claim to know all that stuff. But he wanted to know the exact hour. And as soon as he realized that at the moment he spoke the words, he seen something in Christ. And he realized that he was more than just somebody to have temporary faith in. He had a transforming faith. 
And this transforming faith, he went from, from a son that was just having an earthly existence and an earthly life to eternal life. See, that's what Jesus wants to offer everyone's eternal life. Not just a temporary need being met. That isn't why he came and died, just so he could heal us when we get sick or he can give us a few bucks when we need money. Although those are honest needs that we can bring before him and he can meet those needs. He wants to transform our lives and he wants us to be <clears throat> the, the, the person he created us to be. And the only person, way we can be what he's created us to be is by giving our lives to him. To have that transforming faith. <clears throat> now this this experience that we have about Jesus speaking the words to about this man I got some it's kind of an encouragement to us because he just spoke the words he didn't have to go there and lay his hands on the boy I like that because that's good news for us. Because if the only way people could get healed is if Jesus laid their hands on them and have the need met or have the sickness go away or have the need met, whatever it might be, then we'd be in trouble today, wouldn't we? Because Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. He's not here. The Holy Spirit's here. His presence is here. But he in his physical form is not here. And if the only way we can be healed, if the only way we can have our need met is if Jesus lays his hand on you, we'd be in trouble. So he showed in these verses that he is the God of distance. He doesn't have to be right there to lay on his hand, all, his hand on the need. He, we just have to do what he asks us to do. Bring our need before him. That's what this man did. He brought his need before him and he, he prayed and said, please come and heal my son. But Jesus says, go, your need's met. See, but we don't do the going. <laughs> we just stay there and keep asking for the need. But see, I'm glad this verse is in here and this, this scripture is in there because it shows me I don't have to have Jesus personally come and lay my ha his hand on us in order to have our needs met. We can come up here and be prayed for and God can meet our needs. And maybe we just have a tentative faith when we do that. Maybe we just have, a, have a, just an unsure faith because of things that we've heard. Because God's still in the healing business. I don't care what anybody says, I've been healed. A lot of times in my life, and I know people that's been miraculously healed. Last week, I didn't feel very good. And we prayed, prayed they had him pray for me over Sunday school. Because, man, I'll tell you, my husband told me to go home and lay down. I don't know what he's going to do for a sermon. but <laughs> And I said, no, no, I knew that God would get me through it. And so when I, by the time I got up here to start preaching, I felt okay. I had, a, I had a confidence in God. I knew that he could meet the need, and I knew that God had called me to be here, and I needed to do this, and I needed to step out in faith. And, ran, and he told me last week, he said, man, you ought to always pray when you're sick because you did a pretty good job. <laughs> I said, well, thanks. <laughs> I, think, I think that's thanks. I don't know. <laughs> so, but God heals people. Maybe not the way that we want or the way the things should be done. And there's things that I wonder why God hasn't healed in my own life. But see, I can't get hung up on the things that God hasn't done the way that I think he should do them. See, I think, man, I should have, I think God should just transfer that metal in my body and make him bone again. He could do it. He could do it. I know he could do it. But he has his own reasons for not doing things. But if the question God wants to know is, uh, is, am I going to serve him if he doesn't? Am I going to turn my back on him if my need isn't met? That's what God wants to know. And how we, how's he going to know that? How are we going to know it? Because, see, God knows. God knows what we're going to do. But we need to know that we're going to still trust God even if our need isn't met. And all our needs are going to be met eventually. We're all going to be healed eventually 100%.
Maybe not in this life, but the next. And I don't care. It doesn't matter to me which one. I decided a long time ago I'm going to be a Christian. <clears throat> if he never answers another prayer of mine, I'm going to be a Christian. Doesn't matter. If I'm never healed again of anything, I'm going to be a Christian because it doesn't matter because my faith isn't temporary. It's a transforming faith. And I, I could not not believe God because I've been transformed. My life has been changed overwhelmingly, and I'm a new, new person. I'm a new creation. So it's easy for me. It's easier, I guess I should say, for me. Because if things happen, I know that God has the ability to do them. I just have to let him do them in his own way and in his own time. And I can't get hung up about all these other things. And I don't have to go running around trying to chase down Benny Hinn or uh, not Oral Roberts anymore because he's died. <laughs> or any of these great names that we know in Christendom. I don't have to worry about going there and getting them to lay their little hands on my poor little head to be healed. I don't have to do that because the same God that works through them is the same God that work, can work through me, and he's the same God that can work through you. We just have to bring the needs. See, the problem is we don't bring the needs to God until it's the last resort. God wants to be the first resort, and that's what we need to do. And we have enough faith in God to know that he can do it. I know God can do anything. I know there isn't a sickness, a disease, or anything that God can't heal. I know that. Beyond any shadow of a doubt, I've seen enough evidence of it, even if... You know, even besides here. And you've probably seen people that have been healed too. I don't know. But I've seen enough with my own eyes to know that he can do it. And I don't know why in his wisdom he doesn't do things over here and he does over here. I have no idea. I used to get so irritated a little bit when Randy first got saved. Because everything that he prayed for, he got. I'm going, hey God, what am I, an orphan? So I say, hey Randy, would you pray for this? <laughs> Because that's just the way it was. It seemed like everything he prayed for, he got. And I got a little tired of that. Say, hey, God, what's going on here? We're both your kids. And sometimes, you know, God does that. I don't understand why. I guess he needed the, needed the, the reality of God answering prayer and where I didn't. I knew that God answered prayer, but I guess he needed a little bit more. I have no idea. It's between him and him <laughs> because I don't know. And we've got to make that decision in our hearts. It isn't going to make any difference what happens. And we know that God can answer prayer, and he doesn't have to be right there. We'll lay his hand on him. And I'm, like I said, that, that scripture just jumps off the page to me. <clears throat> because God is, Jesus isn't here physically. And it doesn't matter who's here. Anybody can pray for you. Well, not anybody. I want to be a Christian. I'm very careful who I let pray for me. There are a lot of people out there that claim to be Christians, and they're not. So you've got to be very careful when you let people pray for you. Because whatever... If they're not Christian and they're not serving God, then, then, you know, letting them pray for you might be one of the worst decisions you make. So you need to pray and ask God, who can I have pray for me? Because <laughs> sometimes we need to be very careful about that. Jean Francisco Gablet, the great Bolden, was the first tightrope walker to appear at the Niagara Falls. On June 30th, 1859, the rope was in position. And at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, Bolden started the trip that was to make history. As he began his ascent toward the Canadian shore, he paused, steadied the balancing pole, and suddenly executed a black back somersault. Never content merely to repeat his last performance, Bolden crossed his rope on a bicycle, walked blindfold, pushed a wheelchair, a wheelbarrow, cooked an omelet in the center, and made the trip with his hands and feet shackled. And then he announced that on August 19th, he would cross the gorge carrying his manager, Harry Coldcord. 
And so Harry called on, climbed on his back, and they crossed the gorge. Now Harry, this Harry guy, he demonstrated his faith in this guy, didn't he? <laughs> you can talk all you want. You can watch that guy walk across the, that tightrope and jumping, doing flips, pushing a wheelbarrow full of bricks or something like that across there. You say, man, I believe he could do that. I believe that man could do that. I believe he could put, put some of the wheelbarrow and wheel across it. But see, until his manager got up on top of his shoulders and let, walked across there with him, that was demonstration of his faith. You could talk all you want. But when you climb up on his back, that's when it means. That's when the rubber rits the road. That's when you really know what your faith is in and how much faith you have. Well, that's kind of the same thing with Jesus. <clears throat> he didn't want us to come to him so he can just, we can put our, our problems and our cares and our needs in a wheelbarrow and watch him wheel him across the gorge. That isn't what God wants us to do. God wants us to climb up on his back and go across the gorge with it. All, that's faith. That's faith. That's what God wants us. He doesn't want to just, just give us some of the things in our life. He wants us to give us our life, give him our lives and beyond our lives. Everything about our lives he wants to take control of. And that's what God wants for us. And when we do that, that is showing a transforming faith. That's when we have an utmost confidence in everything that God says. And that's what he has, wants us to do. <clears throat> Charles Spurgeon said, I would recommend you either believe God up to the hilt or else not believe at all. Believe this book of God, every letter of it, or else reject it. There is not no logical standing place between the two. Be satisfied with nothing less than a faith that swims in the deeps of divine revelation. A faith that paddles about the edge of the water <clears throat> is poor faith at best. It is little better than a dry land faith, and it is not good for much. God wants us to have all kinds of faith in him. And the amazing thing about it is when we place it, our faith in him and our confidence in him, he's never going to let us down. Have you ever had people let you down? They say they're going to do something and they don't because it's not a priority to them. Oh, something come up. I couldn't do it. Or they'll call you and say, I'm sorry, I can't do this because something come up. Well, see, God doesn't, call, doesn't do that. When we come to God, he doesn't say, I'm sorry, something come up, I can't meet your need today. I'm sorry, something come up, I can't listen to you today. God's always there, and he's never going to let us down. And so we can put our faith in him, and we can put our confidence and trust in him, and know that no matter what it is, God's going to meet that need. And if he doesn't meet it the way we want it, it doesn't matter, because the faith doesn't change. It's not supposed to change on the good days or the bad days. Our faith in God's supposed to stand and be secure. And that's what he wants for us, because Jesus cares about every aspect of our life. We've got to understand that. When we understand that, then it's going to be a little different situation. We think, well, let's see, i got to go spend five minutes in prayer and spend five minutes in Bible study before I go to work. Okay. But see, that isn't what God wants from us. I mean, he wants us to study and pray, but he wants us to take him with us every place we go. So when you're at work, talk to him throughout the day. You don't have to speak the words out loud if you don't want to. It's all right. You can speak underneath your breath or, or whatever, or talk out loud. People think you're crazy. Who are you talking to? And then you say, I'm talking to Jesus. And then they can give you the, you know, give you the look. Or it gives you an opportunity to talk to him about the Lord. Because Jesus wants us to be, be intricately involved in every aspect of our life. He cares about our job. He cares about our family. He cares about every one of our relationships. He cares about everything in our life. He wants to be involved in every aspect of our life. And when he is involved in our lives, our lives are different. Because we have a confidence in him and know that he's going to meet our needs. 
All we have to do is give, cast our cares upon him. We sing that chorus here a lot, a lot. Cast all our cares upon him. That's what he wants us to do. See, he came to take away all our burdens and all our cares. But when we don't give them to him and we hang on to him until he's the last resort, that isn't his will. He wants us to be the, he wants to be the first resort in our life. <clears throat> he wants to make our lives richer and fuller in the here and now. He didn't want to, see, we think that his word says he wants to give us life and give it to us more abundantly. Well, we think when we go to heaven, our life's going to be great. It's going to be improved. Huh? Right in the moment we get saved, that's when our abundant life begins. Because we don't have to worry about going through a problem or situation by ourselves. He's with us to go through it. If we have the, if we're carrying a load, we can give it to him and let him carry it. Have you ever been hiking? And, you know, after a few miles in the heat, you'd like to get rid of that backpack because it's awful heavy. Oh, man, it'd be nice somebody sit there and pick up that thing for you, wouldn't it? Well, that's what God wants to do in our life. He wants to carry our backpack with on his back because he's a lot stronger than we are because we get so weighted down by our problems and by our needs when we don't have to. We can just give them to him because he's already spoken the word. He's spoken the word already. Are we going to just depart? And receive what he said? Or are we just going to keep hanging on to it and keep asking and keep asking and keep asking for something he's already provided for? That decision's ours. See, because he died on a cross for our sin, so our lives can be different. He knew we needed a Savior. He knew that we could not get into heaven as sinners. And he knew that he had to do something. That's why he came. He came to pay the penalty for our sin. Sin, there's a penalty for it, and somebody has to pay the, pay the penalty. If you get a speeding ticket, they don't care who paid the ticket. If I got a speeding ticket and somebody, my, my sister wanted to pay it for me, they wouldn't care, as long as they get the money. Well, that's the same thing God wants from us. There's a penalty for the sin that we've committed, the whole world's committed. But God, doesn't, God only has one person that can pay the penalty. See, we either got to pay for it with our life or Jesus except the penalty that Jesus paid with his life. See, God, God has both ways. It's up to us. Which do we prefer? Do you want to pay for it yourself and spend eternal life? Eternal, it, actually, eternal death is what it is. You either have eternal life or eternal death. Either place you're going to be living. The only difference is where you're going to be living. But see, God didn't care. That's why Jesus came, and he paid the penalty. And it's up to us to be able to accept that penalty. We don't have to. You get a speeding ticket, you don't pay it. That'll go along for so long, but sooner or later, they get pulled over by a cop, and you're going to end up in jail because that ticket hasn't been paid. Well, at the end of this life, when we stand before God, if the ticket hasn't been paid, we're going to have to pay the penalty, and we're going to be in jail, and we ain't going to like jail, the eternal jail that we'll end up in. But I'm thankful we don't have to worry about that because he provided that way. He provided the avenue for us to be saved. He paid our ticket. He paid our sin ticket. He paid the penalty for us, and I'm thankful for that. Uh, this is Communion Sunday, and uh, <clears throat> I want to reflect on the uh, fact that he, did, he paid the penalty for us. The last thing he did on this earth was uh, last supper that he had with his disciples, and he set this up because he, he knew what he was going to be facing. He knew that he was going to be dying on a cross for their sin. And actually, his disciples at this point, they followed Jesus around for three and a half years. So they were probably more righteous, quote, unquote, than what we would be without Christ today. They were righteous, but he said, I'm going to do this for you. 
and I'm going to die on a cross for you. Of course, they didn't get it. They didn't quite understand what he was talking about. And he went through this ritual of, of what we call communion. And he said, and, and he did all these things. They didn't catch it until after he had rose from the dead. Well, there's a lot of people in our, in our cities and the people that we know, they don't get it. They don't understand it. To them, oh, it's a lot. Last Supper, you can go buy Da Vinci's a replica of Da Vinci's painting where, you know, got Jesus in the, sitting at a table and all these things that are there. And to them, we say Last Supper, that's what it is. But what Jesus instituted then was something that we as Christians need to remember every month. Every month, well, actually every day of our lives, we need to remember that he is our Je- Je- Jehovah Rophika, our righteousness. Without him, we have no hope. Without him, we're lost. Without him, what could we do? But because he died in our place, we're saved. We have that opportunity. I know that everybody here this morning has probably already accepted Christ as your Savior. But if you haven't, this is a good time to be able to uh, reflect on your life. And maybe you've been sitting there with needs in your life and, and you've uh, been asking for something, you've been asking for something, you keep asking for something. But you know that there's a promise concerning that particular issue. Maybe it's about time you quit asking for that particular situation or that particular need and start thanking Jesus for, for meeting that need. After, God gives, after, after your father gave you the car keys, you said, thanks, Dad. Well, see, that's what we need to do with God. We need to say, thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus, for dying at a cross for my sin because he's our redeemer. He's the one that paid the price for us. And we need to reflect on that every single day of our life. But especially once a month month as a church when we come together, we need to reflect on it together and be reminded that he he died in our place and he took our place on a cross. And I'm thankful for that. So we're going to have communion this morning. Uh, Dwayne, Randy, if you'd come. You don't have to, 